Judges 19. This is one of those chapters. Kind of like to cut out. <laughs> but it's the inspired Word of God. Judges chapter 19. <clears throat> I've titled this, The Fruit of Leaving God Out of Your Life. Let's just read the entire chapter. So then it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. His concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, was there four whole months. And he, her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again to his, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. His father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him, and he abode with him three days, so they did eat and drink and lodge there. It came to pass on the fourth day, when they rose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart, and the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. And they sat down and did eat and drink both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night, and let thine heart be merry. When the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him, therefore he lodged there again. And he rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart, and the damsel's father said, Comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried until afternoon, and they did eat both of them. And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening, I pray you tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, that thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go home. But the man would not tarry that night, but he rose up and departed, and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem. And there were with him two asses saddled, his concubine also was with him. When they were by Jebus, the day was far spent, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in unto the city of the Jebusites, and lodge in it. His master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not of the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. And he said unto his servant, Come and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night, in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belonged to Benjamin. And they turned aside hither to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in a street of the city, there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. And, behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim, and he sojourned in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim, from whence thence I am. And I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord. And there is no man that receiveth me to house. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me and for thy handmaid, and for the young man which is thy servant with thy servant. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever, that all thy wants lie upon me, only lodge not in the street. 
So he brought him into his house and gave provender unto the asses, and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about and beat at the door, spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came in thine house, that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into mine house, do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine, and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her, used her all night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day, and fell down at the door of the man's house, where her lord was, till it was light. And her lord rose up in the morning, and opened the doors of the house, went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house, and her hands were upon the threshold. He said unto her, Up, and let us be going. But none answered. Then the man took her up upon an ass, and the man rose up and got him unto his place. And when he was come into the ha his house, he took a knife and laid hold on his concubine and divided her, together with her bones, into twelve pieces, and sent her into all the coasts of Israel. And it was so that all that saw it said, There was no such deed done nor seen from the day that the children of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take advice, and speak your minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love and your mercies to us. Thank you for... The opportunity we have to open your word tonight, uh, Lord, as we consider this uh, uh, portion of your holy word that reveals us to the depravity and wickedness of mankind, I pray that you give us understanding of the things you would have for us, and uh, give, give wisdom in, in preaching, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The first verse in this chapter, I believe, sets the stage for the rest of it uh, and can give us, I think, reasonable understanding to the sad state of affairs and the depravity of the human heart. The phrase, no king in Israel, is believed by most commentators to mean that they were, they were not allowing God or desirous of God to rule in their lives. It wasn't just that they didn't have an earthly king. God was to be their king. But they didn't want God. And I agree with that statement. You know, there were others. There were some still in the nation at this time who lived for God. But the vast majority of them, or the majority of them, were we're like this depraved condition we read about. Um, maybe I shouldn't say the vast majority of them, but, but it seems like there was, there was this, this apostasy everywhere. Uh, and it wasn't they didn't have an earthly king. And somehow that was the reason for all this depravity. They didn't want God or anyone else restricting or inhibiting their licentious behaviors. And you know, when man casts off authority, what he's doing is casting off God. And he, man is capable of the most wicked and depraved 
actions worse than animals. I mean, animals don't act like this. You know, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And man is capable, and this chapter shows us that man is capable of some terrible, wicked, and depraved actions. But as I think about that, I want to just give some, some, some basic things tonight. I'm not going to get into, you know, describe, like one, one commentator said, he doesn't even recommend reading this chapter in the Bible. Uh, it's so wicked and so vile, but it's, it's part of Scripture. And again, I think God records these things for, to show us where man can go without God. The first thing I want to notice is the rejection of God's design for the home. In verse 1, verse 1 says this, And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, there was a certain Levite. Now, Levite is of that chosen tribe to do the service of the tabernacle and the temple. So there's this man, certain Levite, sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim. By the way, you know, at this time, that's where the tabernacle was. It was in Shiloh who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, he took to him a concubine. That is an inferior wife. In other words, that's a second or third or whatever. Uh, you know, this was, a, this was, in a sense, was a, uh, 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 one commentator said, a, a legal mistress, if you will. You know, and many prominent men in the Old Testament had concubines. Abraham had concubines. Genesis 25.6 says that he gave, he gave everything to Isaac, but to his concubine, sons of his concubines, he gave gifts and sent them away. Uh, of course, we know there was Hagar, there was Keturah later, but it seems to indicate there was even more than that. It says concubines, plural. Uh, Jacob, you know, he had Billa and um, Zilpha, I think it was. And, of course, he had Leah and Rachel as well. Uh, Caleb in, in First Chronicles 2.46 talks about his concubine. Uh, Saul had concubines. David had concubines. Solomon had 300 concubines. And Rehoboam. However, we never see in Scripture that this kind of family life is blessed by God. It always brought strife and contention. Always, even in Abraham's household. It brought confusion and strife. And the New Testament makes it very clear that from the beginning it was not to be so. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. Matthew 19, 4 to 6 says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because the hardness of your heart, suffer you to be put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Then 1 Timothy 3.2 says about a pastor, he's to be the husband of one wife. One wife. So that's, that was God's plan. That's God's ideal. 
from the very beginning was one man, one woman for life. For life. So there's this rejection, and, and you know this is a this is a this is a thing that's been going on for quite some time, and has been accepted by society. Second thing we see here is their rejection of God is demonstrated by their lack of compassion to their brethren. Notice verses 11 through 15. Verse 11 through 15. And when they were by Jabez, the day was far spent. Now, this is, this is before it was called Jerusalem. You know, the Jebusites dwelt in Jerusalem until David took the city, uh, which would come later. So the day was far spent, verse 11, and the servant said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. He said unto his servant, Come, and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or Ramah. And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. And they turned aside hither to go in and to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat him down in the street of the city, for there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. Now, you might say, well, what's this thing? the, The thing that stands out to me is here that he didn't stop at Jebus because they were strangers. He goes over to Gibeah, to a place of his brethren, and still no man took him into his house to lodge him. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34 says, And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. Thou shalt love him as thyself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Uh, chapter 25, verse 35. And if thy brother be waxen poor and falleth in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Ezekiel 16:49 says this. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Yeah, and there's, there's many other verses in the Bible that tell us that, that we needed to show hospitality to strangers and especially to brethren. And of course, these verses all have to do with that. Uh, Hebrews 13 one and two. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, I remember when we lived in Maine. I don't know. Maine was a big welfare state. It's changing now because the governor they got has passed legislation to that if you're if you don't have dependents, you have a certain amount of time to get a job. After that, you're no more benefits. And you know what they're doing? They're getting jobs. But anyway, uh, but anyway, when we were there, it was a big welfare state, and it just seemed like everybody came through thinking they'd get all the benefits. And and uh, we lived close to the gas station. One of our ladies in our church worked down there, and every once in a while she calls to say, "There's this guy down here who's just he has no place to go, and he's just spending the night outside." 
And one night I went down and got one of them, brought them to, and he stayed downstairs in the church, and we lived upstairs. And my wife said, you're going to let that guy in this building? And, she, and I said, yeah, you know, entertain strangers unawares. He might be an angel. She said, yeah, he might be an angel, all right. But uh, he was certainly strange. But, but we are to show hospitality. Uh, Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. And here you have somebody that's one of the, their own people. First John 3, 16-18 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoso hath this world's good, seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and in truth. In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, it gets a little stronger. It says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we from him, that he that who loveth God loveth his brother also. But here you have an example of a, of a, a brethren who don't even show compassion or hospitality to one another. third thing here we see that stands out to me is a violation of personal property. Verse 22. <clears throat> Verse 22. Now as they were making their hearts merry, that is the Levite and this, this uh, older gentleman, Behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, and beat at the door, and spake to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring forth the man that came in to thine house, that we may know him. And the, mas the man, the master of the house, went out unto them, and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into mine house, do not this folly. Verse 25, But the men would not hearken to him. Now, in Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 20 and verse 17, one of the Ten Commandments is <clears throat> that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Anything that is thy neighbor's. That would me to me that would include his own person. And you might describe it as his own personal property. Do you ever have somebody do you ever have somebody that's that kind of comes up to you and they get real close to you when they talk and you feel uncomfortable? Like they're they're violating your personal zone? You know, we all have our personal them. You know, I imagine Brother Welsh would feel uncomfortable if I talked to him like this, you know, he's this close. You know, get right in his face. Yes, violating my personal zone. Well, here you have men who are violating their person. 
that want desire to violate their person. Their own personal purity. You know, this is, this, this to me is a characteristic of these kinds of people. Think about it. It's not the attitude of the crowd at Sodom. Ezekiel 16, verse 50 again says, and they were haughty. That word haughty means they were lifted up, or they looked upon themselves to be higher. That's the idea. They, they think they're higher. So they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Uh, Proverbs 18:12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Before honor is humility. And again, did that not describe the men of Sodom? They were haughty. They were arrogant. They had, they had to rights to anything they wanted, even if it violates the rights of others. And that is the attitude of this crowd to this day. That's their attitude. But you know what? <clears throat> I tried to Google get some information. You know, you can get all kinds of information on the internet about violence against sodomites. But it's not real easy to find facts telling how violent they are. It's much more scarce. Because they're violent. Um... But the Family Research Institute had a, an article called Violence and Homosexuality, and this was their conclusion, and I, and I read the whole thing. It says, The hate crimes gays complain about are infrequent and seldom involve more than name-calling or snide remarks. The FBI reported 434, 31 hate crimes against homosexuals for the U.S. in all of 1991. Only one was confirmed for Washington, D.C., Yet D.C. gay activists claimed 397 incidents. When pressed, they admitted at least 366 of these crimes consisted of verbal harassment. In line with traditional psychiatric opinion, violence goes hand-in-hand -hand with the gay lifestyle. Almost all the exposure by homosexuals to violence and disease is encountered within the gay subculture rather than outside of it. Most of the murderers in the lifespan study whose sexual orientation could be determined, were also homosexual. While violence toward homosexuals is deplorable, most violent, violence involving gays is self-induced. Overall, the gay subculture may export more violence than it absorbs from without. Uh, and then this article was from Liberty News Now, and it's titled The Gay Communities, Community's Serial Killer Problem. Written by a name, guy by the name Morgan Mayhew, and dated January 10, 2015. Anyway, it says in 2009, the Senate passed legislation extending hate crimes laws to protect the gay and lesbian community. This bill was a result of a murder of Matthew Shepard, a gay University of Wyoming student who was murdered in 1998. For 15 years, Shepard's death was used as a primary example of hate crimes against gays. However, after the research and release of a book on Shepard's death by Stephen Jimenez, even the LBGT community has accepted that the murder was not a hate crime. 
as it was a drug deal gone bad and the result of the crystal meth subculture. Regardless of those facts, LGBT community still demands protection under hate crime laws, along with preferential treatment for transgenders. And again, I'm not going to read all of it, but the article goes on to say, however, in dated study conducted in 2003, 69% of serial killers were either self-described homosexuals or engaged in homosexual behavior immediately prior to or during or after committing their murders. Uh, and then it, it, the end of the article says this, the concept of protection of a minority class for subjective hate crime laws is arguable, arguable alone. Furthering protection of a minority class of people who overwhelmingly account for America's most notorious killers, America's top six killers were gay, should be put on hold until that group can explain and provide solutions to what appears to be their subculture of death. You see, one of the descriptions that God gives and that is evident in this kind of lifestyle is they're haughty. They're arrogant. They're lifted up. They, they, they think it's their right to violate our rights. You see, it isn't enough just to get their rights. They want to force it on us and our children. That's their goal. So there's this violation of personal property. Again, this is, this is a, a, a fruit of apostasy. There's a fourth thing here I want to notice. There's a neglect of God-given responsibility. Notice in verse 24. The sin alone isn't with the men of Gibeah. Verse 24 said, notice this man says, Behold, here's my daughter, a maiden. How about you dads? Could you see yourself saying that? And his concubine. Hey, you want to give up your wife to a crowd like this? Them will I bring out now and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vow a thing. You know, it's a, a father's and a husband's responsibility to provide and protect his house. Matthew twelve twenty nine says this, Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? 1 Timothy 5, 8, But if any provide not for his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. You know, just... Here's two men, just like Lot, to save their own skin, betrayed their house and their responsibility. You know, it's it's a God-given responsibility 
for a man to protect his house and to provide for it. And they neglected their God-given responsibility. You know, we as, we as men need to stand up for what is right and protect our own. But we see all these things. And you might ask yourself the question, you know, and I'm not going to get into some of the description of things here, but how in the world did they ever get to this place? Well, go <clears throat> back to Leviticus 18. And I'm not going to read this entire chapter. But in Leviticus 18 it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall you not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. And then he begins and describes for us the sins that were being committed in the land of Canaan and some of which were being committed in the land of Egypt. And, and then he, and he ends this chapter in, uh, in drop down to verse 25. Um, it's, it says, And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your nation, your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled that the land spew not you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them, shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall you keep mine ordinance, that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Now, when God prepared them to come into the land, he told them, this is what's in there, and you need to destroy everyone that's there. Lest you be corrupted. See, how'd they get to this place? It didn't take real long. Just a couple generations. You know, Judges... Chapter 19, uh, according to the date of a dating in my Bible, is dated 1406, which takes you back to the, like the third chapter of Judges soon after, or a generation or two after Joshua died. It's just really after the elders that overlived Joshua died. By the way, Phineas, I believe it's Phineas, is still the high priest. And I believe it was Phineas who took a sword 
And remember the, the guy that uh, brought Cosby, the daughter of Moab, into the tent? In his face, it took a sword and struck him through. Stuck him through. But here you have these people. They did not drive out the enemy that God told them to drive out. In other words, the point I'm trying to make is they were not obedient to the clear commands that God gave them. They left these influences in the land. They left these people influence their children. And just a generation or two, they're committing the same abominable wickedness that the nations they would drive out had been doing. That's kind of a scary thing. It can happen so quickly. You know, we need to be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord and walking with Him. Lest we fall into the snares of the devil. You know, the admonition is, is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> Turn over there. If you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Um... <clears throat> uh, Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that rock, that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they are overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither remember ye, as some of them almost also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Now, Idolatry is described as putting anything before God. Anything. And they had committed idolatry even in the wilderness. They were wanting to go back to Egypt. They complained about the manna. You know, uh, they weren't satisfied with what God gave them. You know, many times we can just become dissatisfied with what God has for us. And we'll put something else in this place. Or we just disregard God's best 
or what God has for us. You know, I've often heard this, getting back to the uh, uh, polygamy concubine thing. And Jacob and Leah and Rachel, I've often heard this, you know, really Leah was supposed to be Esau's wife. Hey, Rachel Jacobs. But you know what? Esau could have cared less what God thought. And he just chose his own way. Caused a lot of problems. You see, we need to, we need to give careful consideration to what God has for us and not adopt and allow the influence of the world to mold our thinking and to influence our decisions and how we conduct our life. We're going to be faithful. You know, even in this day and time. You know, we, we live in a day much like judges. Much like judges. I mean, there's, there's vile acts being committed... In our day and time, much like this. Maybe not to the same extent. You know, I haven't heard anybody cutting anybody in 12 pieces yet. But I've, I've read of some gruesome things going on. But there were people who were still faithful even that time. Because they did allow or desire God to be king and lord of their life. Their heart still sought after the Lord. And so we need to keep God before us. We allow him to lead us and guide us and not be influenced by the world around us. Even the even churches are adopting and being influenced by the world today. But might God help us stand true and be faithful to him and not leave God outside the door. You know, like Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's outside. Might not that not ever be true of us? Um, the fruit of leaving God out of your life it can lead to the great depravity um, and the wickedness of mankind. Let's